Hey folks, welcome to the Aspire Natural Health Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tim Gerstmar. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating gut dysfunctions, autoimmune diseases, and other hard-to-treat cases. Our goal with this podcast is to bring you a range of interesting, informative, and yes, entertaining podcasts. All right, folks, without further ado, let's get to the show. Hey folks, it's Dr. Gersmar. We're here at Ancestral Health Symposium with two of my favorite people all the way from New Zealand. We have Jamie Scott, the, uh, the hobbit from New Zealand. Yes? Hello. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and Anastasia, and I always get your last name wrong. Anastasia, uh, right? Boulay? Boulay. Boulay is good. Okay. You, I right. mean, you can, you can call it whatever you want. I don't mind. I'll answer to anything. So... <laughs> So, uh, two of the people that turn the Ancestral Health Symposium here in Boulder into an international event, coming all the way from the other side of the world. So, how's the trip been so far? It's been good. It's we, been amazing. we really, really enjoyed it, and I think this is a uh, probably one of the best locations for the symposium uh, so far. I have to say that living in New Zealand, we're a little bit spoiled for scenery, so mm-hmm. we tend to be just. Just have but then at the same time, we're looking at this view across to the the mountains on the back end of Boulder, and that's just—it's amazing. That's mind yeah. blowing. So this Absolutely we we've blowing. been really really impressed with this uh, area of the U.S. The weather has been very kind to us, coming from our winter to your summer. So yes. um, yeah, we've uh, we, we're having a ball. So Jamie, you were there at the very first. Ancestral Health Symposium. We met in 2011. You make me feel old. Yeah, well, I know. It's time what, to retire from this business. <laughs> what, what prompted you that first year to make the trip over and come and, and be here? Sense of community. Like, yeah. So the, the whole society emerged out of the swamp that is social media. Uh, and so you had all these far-flung people tapping away on their keyboards interacting with each other and I guess as we got to know each other a little bit more in that online community we started direct messaging each other a little bit more and that turned into emails and Skype calls and whatever else but it still didn't make up for the fact that none of us had been with each other in person so I think the the year that they announced that hey we're gonna we're gonna pull this group of ragtag disparate people together uh, in one hall in UCLA Mm -hmm. it was like well this is a this is an opportunity that's too good to pass up so um, it was it was a big exciting journey for me to come to travel all that way it was certainly my first time to the US Mm -hmm. Uh, and you just haven't looked back like you know we've made lifelong friends yourself included out of this and it's Mm -hmm. it's it's, it's a sense of community there's there's so much to be said and it's so under-recognized, under-appreciated, just the benefit of getting people together in the same room, face-to-face, where we can look each other in the eye, we, you yeah. know, we can have robust debates, but be respectful, which often doesn't happen when you're bashing away at a keyboard at 11 o'clock at night because someone's wrong on the internet. <laughs> um, yep. You know, Absolutely. you give people hugs, you shake hands, you, you make friends. Oh, God, I've just been to a... a a talk in, in the hall there uh, with a with a guy Nick Mailer who I've I've had blocked on Twitter for for ages because <laughs> he just generally pisses me off. But you know I sat there in his room in, in his talk and I go, I can see you. You are speaking. You're a real human being. I agree with ninety nine point nine percent of the things that you're saying. And I want to go up and shake your hand. Nice. And you know you you just can't you can't achieve that online. You can't put a price on on that. 
and geez if more people did that we wouldn't have half the problems that we we currently absolutely. have so so yeah it's just that sense of community that's, absolutely that, absolutely you know it's interesting i talked to some newbies some people who are here for the very first time and they're, they're again expressing that sense of community mm. they're saying where i live my community or the people around me everyone thinks i'm strange no one agrees with what i'm yeah. doing i'm all alone and i come to you know an event like this and oh my god there are other you people feel like yeah. you, yeah. you know so yeah. we, we've described it in the past of these are our people yeah and, and that's uh, as you know we can talk about the the benefits of, of good diets and movement and everything else but geez the once once you get some of those basics sorted out you really need to start finding your people that sense of community mm. sense of socialization uh, if anyone's followed Dallas Hartwig stuff recently, the the whole more social aspect, it's, it's you know, we're, we're getting as much of a health benefit from this as, you know, we do lying in the sunshine at the moment. It's, Absolutely. You know, and, and it's, um, you know, definitely very underappreciated area of health. And there is no doubt that when we leave here, it will be, you know, weeks and months of being on a high from just being around people and you know no matter how you put and it and being somewhat miserable and grumpy because we're not around those people <laughs> uh, yeah well that's true too but um no matter how you put it there is a common energy in yep. in this room and uh when you have that and you can freely share ideas and feel comfortable and feel safe and feel like you can express you know sometimes unconventional ideas without uh, you know somebody raising an eyebrow or saying oh that's a little that's a little unconventional or you know um, the the dietetic society does not agree with that or heart foundation doesn't agree with that or, or whatever and I think this is the real value of events such as this and that's, that's actually the the main reason why we decided that we're gonna take this to New Zealand because mm. we needed it. We we couldn't just keep coming to the US and and enjoy it. So we've uh, that was basically the um, impetus um, uh, behind us forming the Ancestral Health Society of New Zealand and um, running events uh, similar to this one um, in in our part of the world. Yeah, and, and don't get us wrong. It's just this this symposium is not a big hippie fest despite the location um, yeah. kumbaya type thing like you know people are having some pretty robust discussions there's you know there's a lot of disagreement in the room but again it's being done in a really respectful manner um, you know apart from uh, away from the often passive aggressiveness that goes goes with online types of debates and you know as, as Anastasia's kind of saying it's like there's some ideas and, and they are exactly that their ideas their hypothesis their you know, they're trying to think outside of the box because we, you know, globally we, we face some pretty sort of tough, um, tough issues, and and clearly the inside the box uh, strategies we've come up with so far have had fairly limited success. So you know, these people are, th are thinking a little bit sideways, and and that they might be wrong for doing that. Like you know, some of the criticism that gets levelled at the ideas presented here is absolutely 100% valid. Mm -hmm. But at least people are thinking that they haven't just kind of thrown up their hands and go you know what, we're just going to keep doing the same old stuff, but just try it harder and see if it, it works this time. So, And that's really refreshing. It's, Absolutely. It's so how do you feel the message is being received in New Zealand? Like, um, what, what, how, how, you know, you had your first, uh, first 
inaugural meeting yeah. what yeah. in 2015 yeah. yeah and you know I, I Anastasia and I had a discussion saying some of the concepts are really really easily well received by the New Zealand population at large this idea of more ancestral or traditional diets with, uh, with with the bigger influence of the indigenous community there yep. um, and some of the concepts are, are very very foreign to yeah, to yeah as, as we discussed um, the other day Tim um, the influence of um, Maori uh, community and culture is uh, quite uh, big in New Zealand and that was a, a bit of a revelation to me uh, moving from Australia um, and uh, I think that has made a lot of concepts really easy to deliver. Mm -hmm. So when you talk to people about traditional diets, you know, when, when you speak to, um, uh, you know, let's say your average uh, Western uh, Anglo-Saxon Caucasian person and you start to speak about ancestral diet, it's, it's a bit of a vague, a little bit of a theoretical concept to them. So, and very often people resort to talking about Paleolithic because that's kind of something that you can conceptualize in your head. So everybody goes to that image of hunter-gatherer and you know saber-toothed tigers and and hunting for mammoths and and you it's know a very homogenous image though. It is. Right? It, it is. is a very yeah. It is a very homogenous image. Whereas when you speak to a Maori population about traditional ancestral diet, they just need to go and ask their grandmother. Right. You know, yeah. it is we're, so we're close. Two hundred years ago, not two thousand. And, and, and right, sometimes right. not even that. You know, this is something that they they have passed on in their tradition they something that they have heard about this is something that's really close and dear to them and that's why that concept of ancestral living is a lot easier to get across and what we're trying to do is not to push that hunter-gatherer image mm -hmm. because it's unnecessary you know this is something like I said you this is something that people tend to latch on to as the only ancestral diet whereas um, you know all we have to do in uh, Maori and Pacifica population is go what is your ancestral diet and it's got nothing to do with mammoths it's got nothing to do with saber-toothed tigers and you know, uh, hunting in the snow or persistence hunting in the savannah. It's living on the Pacific Island sure. and it's fishing and getting most of your uh, food from the sea. Um, it's foraging for plants, it's coconuts, you know, it's, uh, it's kumara, sweet potato, taro. So all of those concepts are different and I think we need to be very careful um, in this community not to really pigeonhole that ancestral image to necessarily Paleolithic times. Mm. But and, and we've purposely kept the AHSNZ a very broad church right from the get-go. So if you look at the, the history of the American AHS, it did come up out of the Paleo movement largely in a, a little mm -hmm. bit of the low carb. So it's been mm -hmm. very nutrition, diet-centric with with regard to you know, paleo sort of concepts. We've, with, with the benefit of you know, AHS America breaking ground a few years ahead of us, we've been able to go in and identify where some of the shortcomings have been, where some of the pushback was, was likely to be the strongest and, and configure our society and our messaging to try and circumvent much of that, as much of that as possible. And that's one of the strategies has been to keep it a very broad church. So when we talk about 
ancestral, probably unlike uh, the US society here where people interchange ancestral and paleo yep. relatively easily. Yes. We've said that ancestral is anything from, uh, it's, it's a, a system of information that has come from evolutionary biology, paleolithic hunter-gatherer times, anything right up until the, the wisdom of your mother or your, your, your grandmother. Those are your ancestors covering a very very broad broad range so it's not just right. a, a focus on one point and and right. then we we haven't we've deliberately kept the focus well away from nutrition we've certainly covered it and it gets discussed we had some some good presentations but that's where it seems to be most contentious because it that some of the nutritional dialogue does fly in the face of the main organizations and the conventional wisdom but as soon as you start talking about well we need societies that foster um, better movement and physical activity. We need to um, we need to champion our, our sleep and rest and recovery a little bit more. We need to be more social. Blah 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 blah. Like all of those things, there's virtually no controversy in right. those. So right. we've we've gone after those and say here are some really deep seated issues in our society: urban planning, all of that sort of stuff, the environmental uh, side of things. No controversy, or hardly any controversy there at all. Right. So, and and so we've we've found that the reception of our messaging in general has been pretty good. Nice, yeah. nice. So, going for a little bit of the less controversial issues to build broader acceptance, and then maybe then being able to dig into some of the things that are a little bit more controversial. Yeah, but but also um, staying away from those very polarized arguments of like my diet's better than your diet sure, okay, sure let's look at all of the diets and let's see what the common ground is right because it doesn't matter whether you're um paleo vegan low carb conventional minded what there is just a huge huge common ground in the middle it's like this is what we agree on right this is what we disagree on now let's look at the validity of of what we disagree on the evidence how robust is that um the verification of like all of that sort of stuff and, and that's where the good debates are but we try and do it respectfully rather than some of the messaging which we've we've seen both out of the, the US and the likes of Australia that the only way is the paleo way and right. you know, right. we, we've stayed away right right no that's sensible yeah. I mean I think expanding the conception of of and, and and that's why what I like a lot about this particular organization and movement is the, the paleo name has been helpful in, in spreading general concepts far and wide um, a lot of misconceptions went with it as well yeah. but without sort of that that engine that driver a lot of the attention wouldn't wouldn't have ever come mm. in the first place mm. right yeah. um, but again the the concept of paleo sort of locks you into the 10,000 plus years ago yeah, exactly. and uh, there was a fascinating little paper that came out a few years ago that was talking about the health of the mid-victorians in yeah. England yeah. and saying their rates of all these various diseases were incredibly low and again they had very good lifespans yeah. and all of and so it wasn't that you and and of course we see degradation in health and well-being when farming came into these various communities but we also see healthy populations eating you know much closer to us than thousands and thousands of years yeah. ago yeah. we, we always talk about paleo being uh, a, it's been a nice heuristic and i yes. think it's probably i will stick my neck out and say that it's virtually run its course and mm -hmm. it'll tail out and yeah. off and, and do everything else but it's been a nice heuristic and i think it's uh, nassim taleb who talks about uh, heuristics and that their, their benefit is that they are able to compress a vast amount of information 
to allow just the everyday person to easily understand core concepts yes. and give themselves a starting point. The danger of heuristics is when you start uh, over-extrapolating them, over-analyzing over them. And also taking them literally. And taking them absolutely literally. And then those heuristics suddenly become very, very weak. Right. There's, there's, a, there's a, a good uh, comparison between the, the common recommendations that everyone will be familiar with of, of eat a Mediterranean-style diet. Mm -hmm. Well, we're in America. We're not in the Mediterranean. Right. We're in New Zealand. We're not in the Mediterranean. Good luck convincing Pacific Islanders to eat a Mediterranean diet because right. they probably have never been there. Same with the Asian cultures. Right. But for, for Western society, it's a nice heuristic. You can roughly understand what people might eat or how they might live in the Mediterranean. There's enough kind of common information and common knowledge around that. But as soon as you start to take it literally and try and apply it in a context that is not the Mediterranean, is not the French Riviera or Italian Riviera or wherever, um, it falls apart very, very fast. And, and that's where I think we've made some mistakes with the, the paleo movement. So, yep, it's been a nice heuristic, a nice starting point. Um, people can easily pick up on core concepts, but far too many people have just taken it too literally. And the, the heuristics probably served its purposes right. as far as we're concerned. So. Right. Well, a lot of it is taken without context as well, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to go to your earlier point, um, Dr. Ruscio just had a talk, and he was saying that we have this bias that m almost all hunter-gatherers that have been studied are basically equatorial or African, and that yeah. we know, pop uh, obviously, diet and lifestyle are going to vary based on where on the globe that these people are. So like yeah. you said, you know, the... The traditional Maori people are not going to be eating olive oil and, you exactly. know. Uh, and they shouldn't have to. Right. Yeah. Right. So that, um, it, of course, though, that makes things more complicated and that makes the message harder to get across when it's, well, it all depends on context and situation. Yeah. Right. So. We, um, we've, we've also, I, I, I just sat in on a, a, a talk as well where, um, you know, there's all these fallacies around. Know, the, like the noble savage and you know, hunter-gatherer ancestors didn't have anywhere near the, the population and they respected the environment and everything else. It's like, well, again, in very, very recent history for the Maori population, they were at war with each other. They had some peaceful tribes. They have some very aggressive tribes. They were constantly sort of battling over resources in the same way that we do in, in modern Western society. They hunted out the, the moa and maybe a couple of other species to absolute extinction. Yes. So, yeah, there's just so many fallacies wrap, wrapped up in that. So, it's it's just not something you can apply with absolute literal, uh, literacy and... and mm in western society and and if if the heuristic now is not holding up and is creating more confusion than it was trying to solve in the first place then the, the heuristic's kind of done done and dusted time to find something new sure yeah. well i think we you know the the goal is to build on the strengths of what came before yeah uh, well that's the whole take, point take right? the good stuff ditch the, ditch the, ditch bad, the bad stuff, stuff yeah. keep, keep it evolving and, right. and keep the discussion going right, right. So you think paleo, and I, I tend to agree with you, I think it's, flame, you know, the, the popularity is flaming out. I think many of the positive concepts can continue to move forward. Do you think this ancestral health movement has still has legs under it and can continue? Well, it, it really depends how it's, depends how it's positioned. We wouldn't want the word ancestral to be hijacked. I really don't want to see ancestral cookies or yeah, I don't yes, want yes. to yes. see ancestral donuts. You know, and unfortunately, this is uh, probably a sign of our times that, you know, somebody's going to go and see some dollars in it and 
and, and try to use the name for their own purposes. But I would like to believe that we can uh, keep it simple, keep it free from you know, unnecessary commercialization. And, um, and, and Ancestral is not wedded to anything you know this is where it shouldn't the, be it shouldn't be yeah right. this is where the framework is deliberately broad and and i will fight for it to remain broad because it's not dogmatic it's about uh, to a certain degree it is about your personal interpretation and um i think the other value that i see in it is that uh it also allows you to step away from analyzing lifestyle just from the point of view of what randomized controlled trials are available mm -hmm. and i think we kind of got a little bit caught in it in uh you know the paleo world is we're going you know everything has to have uh, a study un underlying what we're saying mm -hmm. and um i mean i've i've have uh, science qualifications myself i'm a, a practicing um, physician and yeah sure I rely on evidence-based medicine but we have to understand that lifestyle and food is more than science mm -hmm. it's and for many people you know the cultural elements of how they eat what they eat who they eat with and what circumstance it's got nothing to do with science you know and you don't need to have a randomized controlled trial to tell me that having dinner with my friends and sharing uh, a meal of um, you know meat and vegetables and a glass of wine is going to be infinitely better for me than eating a super healthy salad on my own in a dark apartment while looking at an iphone right you know this is the 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 cultural element of that i think is really really big and the word ancestral i think encapsulates the fact that we need to have a look at all knowledge systems mm -hmm. and and the word that is frequently used to describe this is scientism and that's this sort of a pervasive belief that you can explain so science explains everything and i'm sure that you know in a hundred years it probably will explain a lot more than it does now mm -hmm. but to believe that everything if, if there isn't a study to prove this uh it's not true you know evidence Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence, right? right? So I think we need to respect some of the cultural practices, even if they don't necessarily have a huge scientific base behind it. Um, so well, those cultural practices evolved for a, a, a good practical reason. They just yeah. weren't just kind of often plucked out of the sky for, for nothing. Well, absolutely. And I think, um, uh, to again, to quote Taleb, um, time time is can be evidence you know uh and and sure we're going to be sensible about this and this is where we have to combine our clinical knowledge our scientific knowledge and uh that understanding of other knowledge systems like culture and art mm -hmm. um to guide us um into what it is that constitutes a good life well you, you again right. you can use the the maori as a good example of, of that of um, a culture that's been very, very recently assimilated into broader Western culture where we could walk, walk in and, and look at all of their cultural practices and go, that's just woo. You've got no evidence to be doing what you're doing. Come on into our Western culture where it's all evidence-based. And as soon as you do that, 
they don't thrive like they crash and burn and and we're finding and this is the really positive thing with with new zealand and i don't want to say that new zealand's all um sort of bear and skittles because it's certainly not um there's some big problems that we need to face but we're finding that as the maori revert back to more and more of their own cultural practices they start to thrive even though that there's no scientific evidence per se for them to be doing what they've they've done yeah. so. uh, right. to give you another example actually sure. this really interesting one of, uh, of a bit of a clash of scientism and culture um, would be uh, co-sleeping yes so co-sleeping yes. and a lot of traditional indigenous cultures is is the norm and it has been done for hundreds to thousands of years and it certainly is in maori culture as well however there is a significant scientific uh, a body of scientific evidence tying co-sleeping with sudden infant death syndrome and for decades in new zealand at least and and certainly in australia um, this has been discouraged, you right. know, co-sleeping is unsafe, but culturally it felt really wrong to a lot of indigenous people. They don't have, you know, this uh, tradition of putting their baby in a cot in another room and, uh, and, and the health authorities and public health have really struggled with that because they were like, oh, we need to have these education programs. Right. These people don't understand and they don't know the evidence and here is the evidence. And they're trying to convince, um, you know, uh, uh, this ancient culture that what they have been doing for hundreds of years is wrong. And right. well, guess where that's going? Right. So recently there has been... Um, in, in New Zealand, uh, a, a group of uh, traditional Maori health workers um, came up with the, uh, they call it a pipi pod. So it's a traditional woven pod, okay. uh, a small like a little bassinet bed where mm-hmm. a baby can sleep and mm-hmm. it can be put in parents' bed. Ah. So, um, and uh, it's, it's, it works with tradition, it works with culture and people understand it. But the public health authorities were against it because they were saying, oh, there's still no evidence that they can save and protect from sure. sudden infant death syndrome. Sure. We need to see more evidence. We need to see, you know, let's 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 have a look at some observational trials and, you know, how long are you going to wait for that? Right. And only recently, after a tremendous pushback, they have backed down and they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to fund those, we're going to... We're going to go with that because, um, you know, the baby's obviously safe. In, yeah, there's in also this. no evidence that any babies have There is not evidence died. that anybody right. has ever died in yeah. a pee pod or anything yeah. like that. So uh, it, it can be quite a distressing clash and we need to be aware of that. When, when we just champion our evidence-based medicine, we need to remember that it's not be all and end all and potentially it's not going to translate to some of the populations that we're going to talk about we need to immerse ourselves you know if we are talking to traditional asian cultures again that we've given this example you can tell them whatever you want about a mediterranean diet you know what they're probably going to eat not going to eat it they're not going to be interested they're going to they're you're going to get way more traction about talking to them to their ancestral diet, to their ancestral lifestyle. And you know what? They're going to do great doing it. They don't need to all have, you know, prosciutto and olive oil and right. whatever else. Right, right, right. Returning to your, your question before, Tim, about, you know, do we do we think that the ancestral health label is, is going to last and will it sort of remain pure? I think it really comes down to the intentions of the societies itself. So, you know, we've seen that 
Paleo got hijacked very rapidly as a brand sure. name. You've got you know, Paleo certifications and Paleo foundations and all of this sort of stuff. And you know, there's a lot of money sort of sloshing around as a as a result of that. And you know, potentially ancestral health could be subject to the same thing. But I am hopeful that the people who are current guardians of the ancestral health societies, and, and I'm not just talking about the American ones, but sure. that includes us and sure. some of the others that have, have started up around the world, is that they sort of recognize that this should be a, 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 um, a label that should be protected. It's not owned by anyone. Um, you know, we've we started up the Ancestral Health Society in, in New Zealand and you know, potentially the, the American one could have turned around and go, you can't call yourself Ancestral Health Society because we are. Right, so, right. No, they didn't. It's like, you know, the, these are concepts that we want to grow and the, the discussion we, we want to have. Um, and so as long as it's kept fairly kind of clean and neutral, um, I'm, I'm always a little bit challenged when I, I come here because I know there's a, there's a, a hall with um, you know, people pushing products and you know, their right. sponsors and everything else. And we try and stay away from sponsorship as best we best we can. Right. We, we'll bust our ass doing fundraising um, to to avoid that. But yeah. You know, so and I understand that this sort of well, American it's, it's, context is a little different. The, the, it's it's tough to run these events without some some. Sort well, yeah. Of I was going to say, you know, to from what I understand, sort of, of Rob Wolf's position, um, and to put words in his mouth, he's kind of said, if can we use the market to help drive everything faster mm. so by getting some market adaptation i and, and again i'm speaking for rob wolf here i don't know he oh, would yeah, say yeah, this no, exactly yeah, but, well, rob, but, rob and I've had a few but, this I, too, but i think he would argue from what i understand that the adoption of paleo into you know paleo cookies and paleo this and that has helped push the concept out far far wider than it would have if it had sort of remained a very pure um I mean, the concern yeah, is I, if it's I, only... I can, I can definitely see that. My counterpoint to that is that is, a, is there an absolute need for speed of rollout? Is, if, if we're prepared to compromise some of the core values and dilute it down and allow for some of the rubbish that we all get frustrated um, around just for the sake of speed of uptake, I'm not convinced that we need to have such, such rapid uptake. Like... This isn't a ship we're going to turn around in a hurry. We're not going to suddenly get the the whole population onto paleo and everything's done, and we can all re retire off to the coconut farms. It's like this is a multi generational game. So right. we need to, when we're playing for the long game, we're not playing for five, ten years. And this comes back to some of the stuff that you and I have been talking about at this um, symposium itself, Tim. That right. um, we're paying, we're playing for. The next generation, the generation after that, and the one after that will be, will be worm food, long before we we see the the real benefits of this. Hey, so let's let's do this. <laughs> let's do it slowly. Let's do it right, rather than let's just go all guns blazing through the market. A few people make a little bit of money in the short term, but then it otherwise just blows itself to bits. And right, right. On to the next thing. So. Well, just to give you to give you an example, actually, um, going to was it Whole Foods uh, and seeing. A, a shelf of uh, paleo labeled food. Right, right, yes. And it's like um, vegetables that have been cut up. And it's great, they're vegetables, so they've been cut up and they've, they've, they've been put in plastic. 
and you know uh, they're priced at a premium you know it's a half a cauliflower completely wrapped in plastic compared to a head of cauliflower just 10 steps away from this right and, and but that's that's paleo food whereas the 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 huge sort of fruit and vegetable section right next to it is not labeled paleo food like this is this is the problems that are that i don't think are solving this issue i think this is this is where it's going where it's actually starting to cause its own problems so if you're going to start calling something paleo but you're introducing you know let's talk about sustainability of uh wrapping every single piece of fruit and vegetable in plastic just so that you can sell it at a premium because it has a paleo name in it right you know i i i cannot i cannot support that direction i don't think this and, is and it the gets way interesting because you know, you know, people such as such as, as rob and this is all due respect to rob yep. would probably say well let the market sort that out like if the market doesn't want cauliflower wrapped in plastic then people won't buy it but then at the same time some of the core leaders within the society and having um, things that are paleo certified like we're, t we're telling people here's how you navigate stuff look for the paleo brand look for the paleo certification labels look for look for this mm -hmm. so the market's not going to sort it out because the market's directors or leaders are actually saying go to this bit don't don't worry about all the other fruits and vegetables that are right in your face right. they're not labeled paleo so someone wins out of that but a lot of people lose and, okay. and that's 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 pretty sad but sure sure I mean, I think, you know, and this argument could go on for a long time. You could argue if that's the if that's a gateway that gets someone to stop and look at these things and then sort of then begin investigating and then realize and make those shifts within themselves. Yes, that could be valuable. But yeah, I, uh, I, can, I can definitely see both sides. But yeah. at, at the same time, you know, you walk into Whole Foods and it, or any supermarket, but most of the supermarkets. Right, right. Place, sure. It, it should be. We should be more focusing on saying when you walk in there all of that sort of brightly colored fruits and vegetables and the meats and everything else that's all paleo or ancestral or whatever label we're going to put on it right um yeah and it's, it's kind of a missed opportunity and it's yeah. it was it's pretty sad for us uh, not so much uh, i guess it's, it's more to see something that's been commodified wrapped in plastic and like it's just a repeat of the same mistake that we've been doing it's the labels changed but it's just the same stuff it's sure. the same stuff sure yeah. sure so it's interesting to see, and I, I think, you know, when you guys started the, the New Zealand uh, Society, you, you took this into account, or maybe it's, it's not being American, but when this movement sort of began, it was very personally focused, like how can I change for my health and, and the betterment of me, and, and then of course the betterment of my family and hopefully the people around me. Mm -hmm. But it was very, um, and again, Rob has this great saying now, I don't know if he made it, but he's been popularizing it about, now we're shifting sustainability over abs yep. and so yeah. the idea for the entry point i know for a lot of americans into this whole movement is what's a more effective weight loss strategy and a health building strategy yeah. for myself this talk uh, this year at the 2016 i've seen a lot more focus around uh, as we said the sustainability issue around longer term things uh, not yeah. being particularly concerned about self and I know from the very beginning uh, when I looked at the lineup for the the 2015 event you guys put on it was very definitely a much larger perspective being brought into yeah. place and I think I think this is 
this is the right direction for AHS and I'm really really happy to see this. The sustainability uh, over ABS has been, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Diana Rogers, okay. uh, Sustainable Dish, she, she was their original champion of that okay. and, and obviously uh, Rob also champions that. Yep. Um, I think that uh, it is it is inevitable, we, we cannot just focus on ourselves. We do not live in a bubble. None of We're us are products of our environment. Sure. We, we, are, we ourselves affect our environment and we are heavily influenced by our environment. And uh, we need to move away from that real egocentric Western notion of our bodies and how we function because we everything that we do is going to affect everything around us and I'm really really happy to see this direction I think that we also need to realize that it is actually incredibly unfair to force people to make choices that are really difficult they're difficult because everything around them is conspiring against them. Right. You know, you ask people to start eating fresh food and they have to go out of their way to get that fresh produce. It's expensive. You know, it's not easily available. Meat, good meat, not easily available, especially in this country. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're paying premium for grass fed, which is what it's supposed to be right right um you know you you have to pay premium to opt out of car culture and sedentary culture you know you have to you you try to bike in most cities to be active and you take boulder i'm gonna move here just for the bikes yeah, yeah we're it. saying at least around around at least in this part of boulder all around the the yeah. university the the biking culture it's, is yeah, and the infrastructure amazing. for yeah, it and we, everything we're really is impressed with that. yeah but, you know it's it's pockets and what about people who don't live in this pockets right and and this is where um i think um just concentrating on changing yourself is actually increasing inequality between people who can afford to opt out right. and those ones who can't right. and who are caught in a you know a full-time job two-hour uh, congestion commuting time every day sitting down at home sitting down uh, during their commute sitting down at work having substandard food choices being in an environment where they're in a dark artificially lit room for the majority of their time and we are saying to them oh hey go out in the sunshine it's really good for you and they're like you know what I have 30 minute lunch right I'm exhausted right I where do I go for me to get any type of food is really difficult so I think we ask so much of people and we put a responsibility on them and guess who benefits from that you know the the, the corporate guys who go oh hey you know for extra premium you can have grass-fed or extra premium we're gonna take out all the rubbish that we put in in our food so you actually pay more for less ingredients and you're going you know how how dumb is this i can i can see both sides so i think the like the initial concept of uh both the ancestral health movement and certainly paleo which it kind of arose from was that this was going to be a grassroots movement and we'll change the system from the bottom up with our buying power and like i agree with that to an extent and but I also can see that we need to work on the top ends 
policy and environmental settings uh, as, as well to allow some of this to happen. Otherwise, you know, what we're going to going to see is that, that the haves we can, act, can opt out at the, the grassroots level, uh, but everyone else still gets fed the same sort of environment ov- overall. Sure. And, and it was really interesting, and Diane Rod- Rogers touched on this yesterday in, in her talk, was that uh, if, if we look at, say, something like veganism, and I'm going to take all of the, the diet argument out of that, but sure. you know, here's, here's a group who are very passionate about you know, their way of life and, and their beliefs they work also from a grassroots level mm-hmm. but they have also got a massive amount of influence at a poli- political level like they have got people in there who are very active who are on boards who are in universities who are um, in people's ears at a, a political level so we can't sit back and go, well, you know what, we'll just let the market sort it out from from the bottom. Mm-hmm. Right. We need to actually start getting in the ear of the movers and shakers who are setting the policy and who are setting the dials for the environments that we have to have to live in. So, you know, at, by way of example, last year at the uh, Ancestral Health New Zealand uh, Symposium, uh, we had uh, an individual come along who is a world-renowned climate change scientist. He's a he's a New Zealander. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has uh, a good amount of political influence because he is so well known. But we also know that he, like many climate change scientists, they believe that you know we should be eating a lot a lot less meat. Yes. Uh, so he he, came, he he got invited along. We knew that. We would disagree with him on that, but that's not what the society is, is about. We wanted to hear his arguments and his rationality. Um, but at the same time, he had to sit through Diana Rogers' talk, which is all about, here's why meat is good for the land. He, and you could see this guy, he, we watched his body language. like He was leaning in. He was very open in his body. He was, he was intrigued. He mm-hmm. was listening hard. Mm-hmm. And he had the look of, on his face of like, this is something for me to consider, hmm. as opposed to oh, I'm not interested in that. So, so here we have Diana Rogers, a very much a grassroots type person, who has now had an influence on someone who can direct policy in New Zealand at least. So, right, so right. we need to do a lot more at that top level. We need to advocate for an environmental shift, but at the same time, we need all the practitioners and the clinicians and everything else who can help the the individuals out at a, a grassroots level. And yeah. I think it's a sign of maturity for all of our societies when we are spending less time saying, here's what you do, Tim, as an individual in mm-hmm. your little bubble mm-hmm. and just try and navigate the outside world as best you can as soon as you step outside your front door. Um, it's a sign of maturity that we're all now sort of saying, hey, look, we need to shift the environment. We need to opt everyone back in to good health. And if you want to opt out and go and trash your body, then you pay a premium to do that. Right. If, you, if that's your individual choice, if you want to be you know, doing hookers and cocaine and boozing up, great. But you're right. going to pay for that. That's not right. going to be the easy pathway right. for right. you. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, the issue is we've made, you know, we're victim, as a species, we're victims of our own success. And we've made, uh, we've, we've taken <laughs> things that were an issue, like having enough food mm-hmm. to an extreme. Now there's too much food and the wrong mm-hmm. choices of food and various other things. And, um, and now, like you've, you both have been saying, we have to opt out 
of yeah. the the default choices mm. which again being people of privilege here yeah, uh, we are able we to resources. do that yeah. uh, but uh, as you say many people can't make these choices and um, a solely bottoms-up approach uh, basically says well until sort of a tipping point is reached where the society as a whole begins to change uh, those people are just out of luck yeah basically there's also and, and amongst all of that there's uh, our, our first was the uh, the Tesla argument and um, I don't know the, how much substance there is to it, but certainly the the, the story that's been sold is that uh, Elon Musk is producing um, all of these super flash, top-end, um, fully electric sports cars that the average person is never, ever going to be able to afford, except he's using the sales of those premium products to bankroll right. the infrastructure and the technology so that it can trickle down to average Joe Punter. Right. And so there is, to a degree, I think within our community, we all have a responsibility to champion the stuff that we can afford, that we can access, that we've got the resources to, to use right. so that they can build and grow and it makes it more accessible to the others rather than just a, a, a premium niche, niche product. Right, I agree with you. Like supporting, you know, grass-fed farmers, yeah, so yeah. that they can then, when there's money there, more farmers yeah. will change and adopt, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. so, you yeah, know, yeah. so there are becomes... cheaper options for us, and yeah. we all need to save money and prioritize our, our spending. But you know what? Sometimes, and this is an attitude we take, like for the greater good, we have to spend money in the right areas yeah. to allow these things to d develop because and, and, and this is where you know, Rob's right we're still in a, a market driven society so right. we have a responsibility to drive some of that market but at the same time where my more sort of socialist leaning sort of comes in <laughs> we also have a, a, a responsibility to um, drive some of the policy and environmental setting so that everyone benefits equally. Sure, well do you want to bring up the one of the main points I got of your talk this year which is the whole concept of the thousand days? Yeah, so my, my talk was was looking at the developmental origins of, of health and disease and, and what's becoming very, very clear is that there is a large influence uh, in terms of our lifespan health of the environments that our grandmothers, mothers, and you know, what we were sort of raised in in our very early days. Um, that conditions or, or sense to a very large extent the tra trajectory that we will follow for our, our health. And there's been some very interesting studies um, to support this hypothesis where um, you know, children raised in poverty and famine and um, social disruption, you can go and remove those children at age 5, 10, early adults and and give them money give them wealth change their entire environment and yet they still end up sort of suffering the health conditions from where they came from right to, um, to be sort of very simplistic about it so you know we, we've got these developmental origins and it seems that and there's, there's most likely many critical developmental points across our lifespan but one of the most critical is the first thousand days which is a a period of time from conception through to age about two where the the environmental exposures of um, both parents and unfortunately it often gets sort of loaded on the mother but yep. it, it is both parents dads play a very very large part in, in this as well absolutely uh, 
through to weaning diets, through to stress levels, uh, all of that, that sort of stuff, uh, right through to about two years of age. And if you, it would seem at face value that if you get some of these critical developmental periods right, then you can influence the trajectory of that individual and um, uh, scaling it up across society. So um, that was that was the essence of, of my talk. And you know, when when you're talking about um, you know young mothers, young parents, children, you know, these are these are periods of time in people's lives when they're they're juggling a lot. Like I mean, right. they've got careers, they're you know, potentially trying to buy houses, they're starting families, they're into new relationships, they've got mortgages, they've got all of these sorts of stresses. Um, they have to heavily prioritize their their spending. If you just leave that up to individuals, those individuals, given everything that they've got going on, uh, will take the path of least resistance. And as we know in our Western societies, the path of least resistance is the path to health ruin right so we need to set our societies as such that all of those critical elements that people need are the default elements uh, so that we change the trajectory of um, the health of of our societies and maybe over the course of two three four generations we might turn the ship around right yeah. right i think the key thing that uh jamie you said that really really sticks with me and i think it, it makes it easier to people to conceptualize if we were to put our public health dollars to use currently we are uh, giving this money to 60 year old white males whereas what we should really be prioritizing is probably 16 year old girls yes because in terms of the health of the populations this is the population that holds the key well when we start talking about the concept of healthy aging tim so now if you, you say um, healthy aging is important at what stage of our lives do do we start to focus on healthy aging right it's about the age that we're at and, right. and we're all past reproductive age by and large. Right. You know, we, we're done dusted. We've had our kids, so we've already passed on, not me, um, but we've <laughs> already passed on our environmental inheritances. Right. And now suddenly as we approach kind of our, our middle ages and you know, um, out towards our third age, you know, we're suddenly worried about, oh, you know, how healthy aging, what should we do to increase our longevity? What do we do to, to decrease some of our ill health trajectories and all this? Yeah. Too late. Yeah. Horses are already bolted as far as society goes. It's great for us as individuals. Right. Because we can see our, our final decades in the best health that we possibly can. Yes. And also But bearing are... in mind that we've also got a, a degree of programming sitting in us that we might not be able to opt out of too well. So we need to we need to shift the resources and that's tough. Yes. Because sixteen yeah. year old girls don't get a vote. Right. Sixty year old men do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And well. so t- suddenly telling those sixty year old men well, there's going to be a little bit less in the in the pot for you guys to spend on your health. We're not going to be spending as much on screening programs and this, that, and the next thing. We're going to spend it on um, underprivileged uh, yeah. children and and teens. Right. Mm, that's I could name names of a lot of people who are like. Well, I'm not voting for that. So, right. Yeah. Right. Well, it's it's a shift from saying not only yes, there has to be focus on healthy individuals, but if we want the society as a whole to grow yeah. healthier, then 
older people are not where the money needs to be spent yeah. to yeah. generate the healthier society. It's again, you know, it's a little depressing when you first see that 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 a lot of the trajectory of a person's life and health sounds like I don't know what they're doing out there. Um, is pulling is Rockies? That's what we call it in New Zealand. Someone's pulling Rockies on their motorbike out there. <laughs> is built on what happens in those first early years, yes. you know, and. Um, and so disproportionately for the health outcomes of a society, you get much more bang for your dollar if you spend it in that early period than you yeah. do um, doing all the surgeries and all yeah. the, well, there's no all the other pieces. There seems pieces, to be no you know? argument that diabetes alone is going to bankrupt the health systems of just about every Western nation. Yes. It's going to do it to the U.S. It's doing it in the U.K. Yep. New Zealand is going to get hammered because we've got a very heavily yeah. socialized um, health system. Yeah. So it's like, well, you can ignore the bottom end and keep pumping more and more at the at the top to try and treat some of the the downstream problems of this, or we could well, we could let isn't, it's and it's difficult. You've got to pick your your language. Well, I think there's 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 two sides to it, right? There's what we can do for individuals to prevent and treat their diabetes, but then yeah. when we look at the society as a whole exactly. to say how do we reduce the the overall, overall incidence burden. of, yeah, of yeah, diabetes, yeah. it's not that everyone needs a low carb diet, right? No. It's that we have to attend to the the strategies uh, that that you know, reduce all the genetic pieces and the epigenetic yeah. pieces and the early and life it, and programming. And it doesn't mean that individuals in their 40s are completely lost and there is no hope for them. Right. And, you oh, know, on the individual level, we know how much can be changed. We know how much can, you know, you yeah. as a clinician and, you know, us in this in this area, we have seen amazing transformations yes. and people changing their health. And this discussion is not about this. Of right. course, we're going to keep helping these people. Of course, we're going to keep keep educating these people. This is more from a point of view of a public health dollar, which is probably more of a you know. It's interesting because for us, it's a it's a very hot topic because you know we obviously uh, have uh, you know what you would call socialized medicine. But at the same time, let's not forget that the U.S. spends, if I'm not mistaken, spends the most money, health dollars per person, in the Western world. For one of the least returns. Oh yeah, we spend twice as much as the nearest, the the, yes. num the number two country in the world who spends the most. But you're not exactly. We spend twice as much yeah. as they so do. So I would, I would ask, uh, you know, the policymakers. You know, if you're spending that much, you've got to be very careful about where this money is going. Looks, looks sure. good on a short-term political side. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. Again, yeah. It, it's a big issue. And I, I know, I, I'm not sure what politics is like in New Zealand, but I know here in the U.S., you know, you can just look at this current election. And it's fundamentally many, many problems, but being driven by tremendous dissatisfaction with the yeah. with the with the system as a whole, the political system in general. And I know this idea of saying, okay, we actually, what we need to do is get more people politically involved and more people into the system who can make some of these longer term changes that we actually need to do. And well, I know yeah. it's... I, in fact, to be honest, we, we are all... Everybody in the world, I think, is just a little bit worried about what's going yes. on in the US yeah. at the moment. Yeah, uh, I, I can see the, the, you should the, the hesitance on the part of many people here to not want to get involved with that shit show but we at the same time you know you, you can't sit back as a community and go well you know we don't want to get involved with politics because it's 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 just all a big bun fight but 
um, at the same time, oh, we're getting annoyed that um, all the vegans are sitting in positions of influence. Yeah, guess, and, and guess power. who's it's not? Like, well, yeah. yeah, right, they're guess not who's sitting involved in You know, politics. they probably right. get frustrated with the system too, but they're still in there and they're actually having some influence. So, if you, know, you want to change things, right? We talk about you know everyone's pretty Rob happy. Wolf for president. we're pretty happy with the sugar uh, in general like the idea of sugar tax but as you know has come up multiple times here you know the taxation of one food could quickly lead to the taxation of others and if it's something of course we agree with then people are like yes yes that sounds very reasonable but as again many people have said who's to say that butter is not the next or or or, you know any other meat or any other food is not so so maybe some members in this community might just need to swallow a few dead rats and play the bigger game on it they might not like the system they might not like some of the decisions that will go against them but you know what stomp up get stuck in and see what you can change and and sway back in your your favor and you know, there'll, there'll be some wins and some losses, but we can't sit on the outside and, uh, as, as I said, kind of yeah. get frustrated that there's influences yeah. um, going against us when we're, we're not involved in the fight. Yeah. Absolutely. So, do you have an agenda for the... So, there is... You always have an agenda. Yes, always, always. Well, um, we don't know yet uh, whether there's going to be... The Ancestral Health Society will have a meeting in 2017. They're thinking about it and talking about it. And I've heard various ideas and plans, but I know nothing has been formally set in stone. But I know that you fine folks do have... Uh, a conference yes. coming up in 2017. Yes, so would you like to tell everybody a little bit about that? Uh, it's basically going to be a rerun of our 2015 in terms of venue and timing because we took the attitude of it of uh, if it's not broken, don't fix it. We had such overwhelmingly fantastic feedback that's like we're doing everything like, well, the, the general nuts and bolts of it almost exactly the same mm-hmm. uh, clearly the program will be different we'll have some different speakers in there some different topics uh, we're still over 12 months out um, so we, we haven't set the the program as yet although I've been shopping for a few speakers which includes your fine self <laughs> Timothy so pe- people can kind of judge Yay. the quality of the show based on that right um, yeah so it'll be uh, late October so 21st to 23rd of October yeah. uh, down in three days yeah, three, three days. So days. in yeah. Queenstown, New Zealand, which is in the Southern Lakes district of New Zealand. So it's a big, if you imagine, a big high alpine uh, lake nestled in the middle of multiple mountain ranges. Uh, just fantastic settings. Very like similar feel to Boulder. Okay. Um, Only much, with much a big lake. Cool. With a big lake. With yeah. a big L- lake. Lots of okay. water. Okay. And water. nowhere near a stinking hot. Uh, so yeah, so it'd be great. And like we we really really want it's you know we purposely call it an international symposium because we want it to be international. We want to give uh, some New Zealanders a voice to some overseas guests and, and share our worldview. But we also want New Zealanders to hear the worldview of other speakers and and have that social interaction, not just with the presenters, but with people who just want to come over and other, yeah. hang out with a few Kiwis. And yeah, we've uh, had a few um, uh, people from the US over and uh, they've had fantastic time attending they have uh, we had a Facebook group running they went for walks together they went out together well, they we, we, we had we had uh, Americans people from the, the United Kingdom yeah uh, we had people from Israel uh, unfortunately we had a few Australians there too but, um, <laughs> so it, you know, it was it's we a, it's a real melting it. <laughs> they're all right I suppose. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so it's a, it's a real melting pot, and that's uh, that's that's what we want to keep going and, yeah. and encourage. So, so um, and I mean the the setting there is. Um, amazing and stunning scenery. One of the good things about New Zealand is that everything is on much, much, much smaller scale than it is here. Mm-hmm. So if you were coming, yes and no. Well, in in terms of accessibility to places, yeah. so you know, it's, it's small but it's big. Yeah, sure. It is. <laughs> um, so like anyway, TARDIS. yeah, yes. well, there's a lot of things to see and do. I think this is yeah. what this is what we're trying to say. Uh-huh. Um, and it is really, really accessible. So renting a car or a um, camper van, or what do you guys call it here? Caravan? An RV. Well, RV, RV okay, or motorhome. Like yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And and traveling RV. around uh, South South Island of of New Zealand you're going to see some stunning areas what I would say to people who are coming over leave more time than you think you will need because you'll be kicking yourself we don't have four lane highways between every destination yeah, so, yeah, so okay. we have little goat tracks up the they, side of mountains they, and they are, take a little time okay. and you want to take that time yeah. you want to yeah. take the time yeah because you'll be kicking yourself if you miss uh, you know some of the amazing uh, destinations there um, leave more time for travel uh, between destinations because you will want to stop the car every 15 minutes and take a few shots and go oh my god and then get back in and then 15 minutes later there's something completely different mm. you're doing the same mm. um, and we will have enough uh, time during the symposium itself for people to socialize to go out we have two hour lunch breaks it's like a oh, siesta in the we have the two hour lunch breaks mm. you are on the shore of this magnificent lake there are some walks right there. So you, actually, you know, for those who don't want to rent a car, you can get away without a car. You can fly in and, and, and be without a car you, and you hire can, a bike. You can fly right into Queenstown, hire a bike, mm. and that's yeah. basically how you move and, around. And please keep in mind, when we do release the tickets, there's only 200 of them. So okay. if you snooze, you lose. Okay. Yeah, yeah okay. We, are, we are a bit limited in yeah. terms of the space that we have. So it's, it's a nice, intimate affair. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely, you know, the, the two the two main, if you will, kind of paleo events here in the U.S. Are, are obviously this one, the Ancestral Health Symposium, and Paleo Effects. And they each have their strong pros and cons. Uh, they each serve a purpose. But, um, you know, I heard there are about 300 people here at the Ancestral Health Symposium. And uh, Paleo Effects has thousands of people that come. Yeah. And so certainly that smaller feel, there's definitely just... just more intimacy you know we open this podcast kind of talking about the personal connection um you know it's about the people and so um you know all about the people the the chance to have the connection and i think um you know whenever it's right having the smaller get-togethers just allows people to bond much more yeah so i I think if 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 paleo effects is a is a rock concert ahs and potentially ahs nz is a Nice, intimate dinner with friends. There you go. That's what it is. Lovely. Well, I certainly am very excited. I've been making plans since 2015 to actually get over to New Zealand and join you guys. I'm I'm truly honored that you want to have me. um, Of course. And I, I... definitely look Good. forward to it no uh, we're planning you know my family and I are planning three three weeks uh, I would love four but I just don't think uh, that's gonna happen but we're definitely planning to have uh, a few weeks yeah. to get around the little inside um, secret is, is that once you get your family there Tim they probably won't want to leave <laughs> <so>. <laughs> well as much crap as I give Jamie about <laughs> hobbits um, I am definitely it's on my agenda to go to the Weta workshop and see yes. um, 
uh, and and uh, get to the place where they filmed the Shire and uh, the, those books Hobbiton. were uh, Hobbiton, Hobbiton yeah. yes there's even a, f a fully functional bar that you uh, very good um, um, a pint of mead lovely lovely uh, those were um, foundational books of my childhood honestly um, and we thought um, nerds like myself thought those movies would never actually be made or if they were made they would be truly terrible and or completely from, CGI or completely and yeah. from you know the first scene when they're panning over the mountains and you're looking at it and you're going my god those are spectacular where where is that and then you find out it's yeah. New Zealand and everything um so for so many reasons uh to 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 do uh this same podcast again on your side of the world in a year or so yeah. uh to uh hang out with you guys to meet all the amazing people and to see the you know the beautiful country that you guys call home um, I am and to drink extra coffee. And to drink, uh, apparently our coffee is terrible here. So uh, <laughs> Sorry. We, we've got coffee that rips your face off. Yes, so yes. Well, yeah. I know uh, Jamie very sheepishly posted a picture of Starbucks coffee the other day on his. Yeah, uh, on I, his I feed, apologize so. to every Australian and New Zealander yeah. who's listening to this. Dirty. I'm so sorry. There are no other options right now. So that's why we're, we a actually. Caffeine free Jamie means someone dies. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, any last uh, closing pieces? Anything else that you'd like to say before no, we? No, uh, listen. Wrap thank up? you so much for yes. for having us, and uh, we hope we said something useful, maybe. Well, I think the the idea of it, we begin as individuals and the changes that we can make in our lives, but yeah. maturity is about moving beyond just yeah. uh, just what what helps ourselves, and yeah. I think this. The thing I take away from this conversation is a, is a discussion about, um, you know, the, the, that evolution and that movement yeah. into... Uh, I think what I would say to people is that it is very tempting to retreat into your sort of a small world focus and there are many reasons for that. We have difficult lives and, you know, we a lot of us under so, so much pressure and some people more than others. But I would say don't be afraid to look beyond and help others. And you know what? It seems like it's too much effort sometimes, but actually giving some of yourself to other people around you and that active service is just Yeah, and, and and you know, helping in whichever way and whether it's education or just being there socializing with um, with your family with your friends with your made-up family with your tribe which is what we're doing here that's tremendously important and um, it just takes us out to that big world focus and you know that's what it is about absolutely, yeah. absolutely. and I'd, I'd just like to say thanks to you Tim like you've been a geez ever since we first met you've been a big supporter of you know, myself uh, and you know, what we're doing in the wider society and, and the fact that you're so eager to, to come down to New Zealand and, and support uh, our little efforts down there. It's just been amazing. So, Yeah, well, I, seriously, I applaud you guys. You know, uh, it, it, you, know you, you came here and you saw this and you, you thought, again, in that larger context, well, how can we take some of this back and how can we spread this message? And so I applaud you both. Like, again, sort of didn't ask permission, but just got started. And, you know, thankfully, um, well, you know. Were we supposed to ask for permission? 
did, I don't know. I don't know. We just, just kind of got going. Well, again, <laughs> again, one of the one of the things I applaud the ancestral health uh, society for is you know they record all these talks and they put them out yeah. on the yeah. internet. Oh, and so you know, if it were locked here, it would be three hundred people and that and, exactly. and that. But, yeah. but no by disseminating them on the internet, uh, we're able to reach so many more people. So I know we open this kind of talking to about some of the negatives of social media, but again, without without it, this message would would probably not spread. It's a, yes. it's a good tool when it's used in the right way. Right, right. Yeah. Um, all right, well, um, then, if people want to know more about the Ancestral Health Society of New Zealand or they want to follow either of you, how should they do these things? Uh, Ancestral Health website, which will hopefully get updated once we get back to uh, New Zealand. So, uh, Ancestral Health in Z or NZ, depending on where you're from, dot org. That will get you to the, the website. Uh, our Twitter handle, which is uh, probably updated a little bit more frequently at the moment, is A Health NZ. Is that right? A Health Sock. A Health Sock. For society, not for SOC. Ah, S-O-C. We will get some, put some links up. Yeah, I'll ha- happy happy to put yeah. links up for everybody. Yeah, uh, from a personal point of view, we are both on Twitter. Uh, Jamie Scott, uh, you have some dashes uh, or un- underscore Jamie underscore Scott. You can go and check that out if you just want to listen to a madman rant every now and then. So. <laughs> and I'm uh, at Primal Med Ed. Um, but if you just look for so how did you how did you pick that Twitter handle by the um, way? So MedEd Medical Education yes. because I started this in when I was at med school. Okay. And that was you know this this was um, when I started getting 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 into the ancestral health and paleo community. It felt like I was doing a little bit of med school on my own. You know I was uh-huh. doing my own conventional med school, uh-huh. and then I was coming home getting on the internet, and it was like. A completely different world of medical education so that was part of my medical education I feel like I'm continuing that and primal was probably not primal from the point of view of this is the you know primal eating but it was primal as in um, I guess ancestral primal as in the original something that uh, is you know uh, bigger and broader than the conventional medical education so mm-hmm. yeah it's stuck and I've had it for a few years now and I've considered changing but I think I'm still on the right track with it right so if you don't mind me asking for a moment how so for anybody who doesn't know Anastasia is an MD in, in New yeah. Zealand yep. um, how do you find that you know again here in the States um, these two worlds don't mix very well we have some MDs who join us at the society and they're quietly kind of trying to do their very best but how are you finding do your colleagues um, are they open to any of this this different viewpoint? Are you have do you? It's your little uh, secret society. That you know, you um, yeah. <laughs> you don't say anything you don't want to. But I mean, yeah. you know, how, how medically how how is this paradigm kind of received in 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 your circles? Uh, so just to give a bit of context, I work in urgent care. Uh-huh. So most people who come to me, uh, they want something fixed yesterday yes and something you know whether it's a, an a exacerbation of chronic problem or it's an injury or you know a cold or a heart attack 
So the opportunities to talk about ancestral health are a little bit slim. Sure, I would under, so, I could understand yeah, when that. Somebody's yes. having, having a heart, heart attack. attack. Yeah. Have you thought about your diet? Let me. Let, yeah. 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 Uh, what's your sun exposure like? Yeah. No. So n not quite. <laughs> right. Um, sure. Okay. So, and and this was my choice, and uh, I probably don't practice pure ancestral health. And sometimes I get these wonderful interactions where where you start talking to people about, you know, their child's eczema and you start talking about their child's diet and suddenly a whole world opens up, but mm -hmm. it is rare. Mm -hmm. um, but as a society, uh, I, I feel like I have a little bit more reach from that point of view. And we certainly talk to a lot of uh, family medicine or general practitioners, as we call them in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And um, there's, there's definitely, I feel like there's a moving tide in that so we slowly um, chipping away at reaching those people and and just like we said before there is no controversy in what we say right you know, it's, right it's not it's not anything weird or woo or alternative and that's just the way that we we try to communicate that it's about you know changing people's lifestyles for the better and not many people can argue with that really sure sure all right well Let's wrap that up and go get some food, shall we? Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Well, thank you so much. Thank and you. I sincerely and deeply look forward to part two that we will record <laughs> from New Zealand. From yes? New Zealand. Sounds, Sounds great. good. And please, everyone, um, if it's interesting to you, I, I deeply recommend that you check it out. Um, when tickets eventually do go on sale, uh, we'll put it up on our Facebook and around our media as well. Uh, please consider and uh, hope you'll join me in New Zealand. All right. Thanks, Thanks Jamie. Thanks, Bye. Anastasia. Take care. Bye. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of the Aspire Natural Health podcast. If you enjoyed it, we hope you've subscribed to us over at iTunes. You can also check us out at our website, www.aspirenaturalhealth.com. That's Aspire as in A-S-P-I-R-E, naturalhealth.com. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com slash aspirenaturalhealth, or check out our library of videos over at YouTube. Just go over to YouTube and punch in Aspire Natural Health. You'll find us there. So a couple great more ways you can check out our free educational materials. At Aspire Natural Health, we are experts at treating gut dysfunctions, autoimmune diseases, and other hard-to-treat cases. If you that's you or someone you know, you can always contact us and schedule a free 15-minute consult with myself and find out if we are the right fit and we can help you out with your issues. So simply check us out, check out our website. Again, that's www.aspirenaturalhealth.com or give us a call at 425-202. 7849. You can set up that free 15 minute consult. All right, folks, until we meet again, take care.